My name's Scott Coy. I am, um, I've been a member at Watermark since we opened the doors or since we started membership. Uh, I've had the privilege of serving as an elder for the last 10 or so years. And uh, Bobby and Blake are gracious enough to let me uh, participate in some of the things we do here at Men's, in men's Ministry, and particularly in the Summit. And so I get to uh, spend a little time with you in Romans. <clears throat> And this is a, a special book for me, and I'm really grateful that they give me uh, a week or two to kind of share a few things with you. This, this book is, uh, is the book, if you really hope to understand the Christian faith. I will tell you from my experience, I think God has used the book of Romans probably to teach me more theology than any other book in the Bible. And between what Todd and Blake have said over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure they've set it up to be such. But Paul set it up to be such. And uh, so any time that I've had the privilege of spending any time with men and going all the way back into uh, my early days when I got to uh, spend a lot of time with young guys and young life and college guys, the book of Romans is the book I wanted them to know. I wanted them to know it desperately. And I believe that you were left on a desert island you would know more. You could learn more theology. Know more about your God. Let me pray for us, and we're going to uh, proceed. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the privilege of uh, assembling uh, in your name. We thank you that it's a privilege you still afforded us in this country, but more importantly, it is a privilege you have afford, afforded us in our hearts that we could spend time with uh, other believers, others in pursuit of knowing you better and falling more in love with you. As we open your word this morning, we pray that you continue to, to stir our hearts in that direction, that you cause us to have a greater uh, a vision of who we are in light of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that you change us, Father. We change us through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So what we're getting into, if you, uh, I was telling you that I think if you know the book of Romans you can know truly a great theology. Because what Paul was doing with the book of Romans, as you know, as you've been told, is that he wrote this book trying to cover from soup to nuts. It is the the most complete work that he gave with all the details, not only telling them about God, telling them about man, telling them about what God has done for man. And he built this whole thing. So it is important for you to understand and be able to walk your way through Romans. I love the way this was set up and that you could break down each chapter. I was telling you that I used to have my, my, my young guys in high school and college, when we would study the book of Romans, at the end of the time, the way they passed the courses, they could walk through each chapter and tell me what was in there. Because if you know what's in each chapter of Romans, you can answer probably 800 to 1,000 questions that come up about the Christian faith for yourself and for anybody that God might put in your path. So this idea of really grabbing control of Romans is a big, big deal. And he starts very logically. Remember, Paul had not been to Rome yet. So for for us to understand about all these things that God had done for us, or is doing for us, or how this Christian life thing works, he starts with a really bad news. His bad news is our condition. He rolls it out in chapter 1, and he completes it around 3.20, chapter 3, verse 20. 
And in this first section, he's basically doing that. And his view of man, that's what we, we chapter this, this section, is God's view of man. It's sin. Sin, the wrath of God. Sin, everyone's guilty. And sin, total depravity. What Paul is going to do through the Holy Spirit is paint a picture for us so that we understand that we're not just okay kind of guys. That if you just fan us a little bit, all the goodness in us will come out. You know, God's view of us, guys, is quite different than our own. This idea that, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. There's some good songs out. That, you know, that, some great country songs. I'm a pretty good guy is one of them. And, and I, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. But the point is, in God's eyes, we might be pretty cool to one another. But in God's eyes, we have a desperate, desperate problem. And the desperate problem is that we're separated from him. And you've got to know how bad that situation is before you can appreciate how good it is that he's done something about it. I contend not only uh, is God's view of us significantly different than our own, but this, uh, this idea of understanding our dilemma, our sin, is so critical for your, your spiritual life. I think that people that take their faith or their walk with Christ casually and make it just a semi-part of their life or a category in their life are people that truly do not understand our state before God. I think it's people that kind of go, oh, yeah, well, you know what, that's kind of nice. He did something for me, kind of nudged me along the way, you know, kind of completed it. Then when we trust Christ that it's kind of like joining a country club or it's like joining a social club, rather than understanding the desperate need we have for a Savior. And I'll contend with you this morning, the better view you and I have of who we are, the bigger our God gets that you'll be transformed by the Holy Spirit because of your daily need to walk with a God who took you out of death. And this is where Paul sets in. He sets this whole thing up to say, okay, the wrath of God, that's the first section here. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and against all those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We don't talk much about the wrath of God, but Paul wanted to. Paul wants you to know it's a real thing that God, being a very righteous God, has a judgment and has a right to judge. And this judgment is consuming. It's not just some bad luck. It's consuming. And he says this wrath is revealed against all ungodliness. Now, what I'd like to offer you today is that when the Scripture says all He's not talking about other people's ungodliness, guys. He's talking about ours as well. That God's opinion of sin, though he has done something about it on the cross, is is nonetheless very, very serious. It's not something that, okay, it was taken care of when, when you became a Christian. It's a thing that God wants you to be aware of, that if you choose to walk in unrighteousness, then you are setting yourself up against the very nature of God. And because he's God, he's not going to look the other way. He's very serious about this. So you, you get into Romans, and you, get, you write this, you read this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why does God have a right to do that? Well, he tells you in the next two verses, because he says, I have made myself known to everybody. This is a great point for you to get into your, uh, in your, your groups when you, we break up here in a couple of minutes. How has God revealed himself? Well, he's revealed himself enough that he says that you and I are guilty. That he has told him, the whole world enough about himself that he is just fine with his wrath setting on those who, who set themselves against him. And so the such, so Paul goes in and explains the next few verses there what happens. Our situation is, in 21 through 23, it says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, and they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling things. Here's our dilemma. God revealed himself to us. I'm going to set this section up and then I'll hit on a couple of points. God has revealed himself to us. It's enough to the point where he can, he can judge us for, for our response to that. And because we've turned away, we've started a sin pattern. Our dilemma is that we've decided, you know what? I've heard what I wanted to from God, but I'm going to still do my own thing. And that's what we see with the rest of chapter 1. No thanks, I got it. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, Frank Sinatra is famous for one song. If I ask if we did a little survey, and everyone knows that the Frank Sinatra song that made him so famous, or even to our generations as, as he moved on, was I Did It My Way. Have you ever listened to the lyrics of that song? They're Romans 1. He's basically said, yeah, I, I got it, but I'm going to do things my own way. So that's what God's response is to our sin. He says, you want to do it your way? Great. I'll give you over. Part of God's wrath is many times he gives you over to your desires. And how he chooses to do this is totally providential. But there is a natural consequence when you want to do some things. You say, listen, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do things my own way. And basically what we're doing, though, if you look carefully at this passage, you're just exchanging one God from another. And you probably fight that fight on a daily basis, don't you? There are many things fighting for the throne of your life, your attention, whether it be finances, relationships, success, health. It could be a lot of things that you want to put on the throne. You want to make your God. And that's what Paul's pointing out here. He says, you're willing to exchange anything for the real truth. And so what God does in that, as Paul explains, is you want it? I don't think you're going to like it, but okay. And three times in the book of Romans, in the first chapter, he gives them over. Okay, if that's what you want. Why, you know, and you hear this thing, why doesn't God intervene to all this stuff? A lot of the times it's because we are living out the consequences of our sin and we have chosen to go away. And he says, if that's what you really want, I don't think you're going to like it. So he, he rolls this out in chapter one. The second part of this section that, that you get to look at today is, uh, uh, well, I, I always want to point out, and you guys make, have this discussion in verse 32 of chapter 1, just put a little star by that. Make sure you discuss that verse in your, your group. I think uh, it's worthy of your time considering the uh, political atmosphere that we're living in. Um, chapter, chapter 2 rolls into this idea 
Well, okay, so sin's, sin's pretty bad here, and part of God's wrath as he rolls it out, you can just, he's just going to give us over. Well, not everybody's that bad. He's going, oh yeah, everybody's that bad. The Jew's bad. He's been given the law. He'll be judged by the law. The Gentile's been given natural revelation. He'll be judged by that. And in chapter 2, this is, a, this is something, again, I want you to know when you're through with this study of the book. This book answers questions, folks. God's Word answers questions. One of the most common questions I ever got, and it was always a smokescreen, and it's probably a smokescreen if you've heard it as well. But you will hear the question, well, what, what about the person uh, in wherever? We used to say Africa, but those of us who spend a little time in Africa will tell you that they talk more about Jesus in Africa than they probably do the United States now. But we're working on that. But we used to think, well, what about these places where they never heard? Well, that's not really the issue now, is it? Because you've heard and the issue is you. But Okay, we'll answer that question because Romans 2 answers that question. Because it very calmly says, listen, you want to take your chances. You want to say, listen, nobody's ever told me about Jesus. Paul says, great. We'll We'll let your conscience stand up there. God has put the truth in your life. And you can respond to your questions. If, you're, if your conscience does not bring guilt to you, then, you know, hey, you're in good shape. But the true answer to that is, everyone's conscience will convict them. Because nobody's conscience will tell you that you're perfect. And God's standard is perfection. So Paul's very relaxed. He says, the Jew's guilty, the Gentile's guilty. Oh, yeah, and the person, that person, that, that, that straw person out there, He's guilty too, because he will be judged according to his conscience. So by the end of chapter 2, you're going, ah, this is getting really, really sticky. I'm not liking where this God thing's going. I'm not looking very good. I thought I was a pretty good guy. I just needed my goodness fanned a little bit. And I'll rally, you know, when chips are down. God said, no, spiritually, You're not in a good place, guys. I will tell you, this is the thing that has kept me going for 40 years, is to be able to look in the mirror and see Romans 1 through 3. Because when I see Romans 1 through 3, I see a man who desperately needs Jesus. And you know that's what he wanted? If you look carefully at the Sermon on the Mount, when you are through with those three beautiful chapters depending on which book you read it in. Basically, you come up with a conclusion, man, who can do this? Who, who can live this kingdom living? I mean, if you look at it closely, you wouldn't have any eyes, and any hands, you wouldn't have any feet. If you did everything, I, I can't do that stuff. And that's Jesus' point. You can't do it on your own. No matter how much you think you got going for yourself, you are unable to accomplish the righteousness of God on your own. And he said, that's why you have a Savior. The crowning deal is uh, Romans 3. Uh, and I, ref- I, I title this chapter for myself, Total Depravity. If there's ever a question you think that you're kind of good or that man's basically good in this garbage that you might hear when the humanists talk about the view of man, it is totally debunked by chapter 3. Got to read a couple of verses with, with, with y'all close. He's there, all right, how vast is this? How big is this problem of sin? You know, 
pretty bad. You know, it just, it has this natural repercussion that God will give you over if that's what you want, that that is part of the temporal wrath of God. There is an eternal wrath of God that is very clear as well. Whereas your eternal destination, if you end up at the end of the road, separated from God, you will be under the eternal wrath of God. Eternal wrath means it's ongoing, guys. It's not annihilation. It doesn't stop. It's the real deal. Paul is going, please, get your arms around this so that you can understand how great a Savior you got. Chapter 2 is everybody's guilty. Chapter 3 is it's, it's total. It's not, there aren't going to be any exceptions. Let me tell you what you're really like. And Paul uses the Old Testament to do that. I'm going to pick up verse uh, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. We have already been charged. Both the Jews and the Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. I love to teach this passage. I hope you guys spend a little time with it. Uh, Whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Guilty. This is a dead man. A spiritually dead man. And this is what you want to grasp from this section as you discuss. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Do we choose to get there? Are we born into deadness? You know, there was a little, little uh, passage in Genesis. If you go back to uh, Genesis, and you see the, the very beginning. And the one thing, they were told to go into the garden. And they were told they could do anything, eat anything. They could, the whole thing was theirs to enjoy. They had one thing they were not allowed to do. One thing, run a big list, just shows you our bent. And it says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat, what happens? Surely you'll die. Well, they kept on going, didn't they? Physically, they eventually had a physical death, but they didn't die the day they ate that tree, of the the fruit of that tree. Or did they? They spiritually died. What you see in Romans 3 is the eulogy, if you will. It is the complete picture of a person. He says, this is what a spiritually dead person does. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And we are dead men walking. So how do dead men become alive? He who is alive becomes dead, so that he who is dead become alive. Can't wait to... I wish I could just keep on charging for next week. Because I really hate to leave it here, although it is important to wrestle with your own depravity. You need to understand how bad your condition is so that you can understand how good God is. And how and what God does for a dead man. If you realize dead people, guys, can't do much. Just ponder the, 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 the significance of that condition. What can a dead person do? That's why when you read the Scriptures, they become alive when you see that it is God who is at work in you 
to do and will for his own pleasure. It's God who gets it done. That's why there's a dependence on God that anything might come out of our lives. The picture, as Paul puts all these blocks together in this great book of Romans is, you got to understand who you are so you can understand how great he is. And when he takes you from being a dead man and he makes you a trophy of grace, then that becomes a very, very significant day in your life. And that doesn't always become the day that you trust Christ. It is to him, that's when you become the trophy of grace. But when you realize where you were and where he's brought you, you live a life of awe as well as dependence. Have a lot of fun with this passage. I wish I was in every one of your group, groups. A handful of you guys that have studied this book with me before know this is, I mean, I salivate working through this thing because it makes so much sense. You talk about the wrath of God from verse 18 in chapter 1, and then when you roll forward into Romans, a little bit later on, he has a very famous verse that some of you knew even before you were Christians where it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, say the Lord. And it tells us not to take vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. God's very big. He can handle all this stuff. That's why we're not on the hook for, for squaring away all of our grievances. God's already said, I got it covered. My wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks for... Um, the privilege of this book. Thank you that in your uniqueness and your kindness, you have chosen to shed light and open the eyes of the blind and give life to the dead. Thank you for our resurrection in Christ. The fact that uh, we, don't, we didn't want to have anything to do with you. We didn't seek you. We were really all about ourselves. And then you invaded our lives in such a unique way that we were changed literally forever. That we celebrate this morning as we understand, Father, your view of us is one that we are desperate. We're in desperate need of you. So uh, stir the guys. May your spirit rest heavy on all the groups as they wrestle with truth so they can understand how wonderful you are. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.